0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Well, of course, today we find ourselves in the second week of our series on this much-beloved passage, the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is My Shepherd. It is, however, also All Saints Sunday, so this is not the first time that what I wanted to preach on did not exactly fit with everything that Christendom was lined up to talk about so what I've done is to push a little further into the psalm today so that those two will be a little more closely allied. So I want to think with you about, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. So we're going to take the verses a little bit out of order, which of course no good Presbyterian should ever do. There is an old Italian proverb, tradutori traditore. Literally, to translate is to betray. Um, So no matter how well a translation is done, um, the verb implies it will never capture the essential flavor of the original. So people who know about these things tell me that if I read the original Homer in Greek or if I read Dante in Italian or if I read Pushkin in Russian, it would be a totally different experience than if I read it even in the best English translation. But every now and then, a translator is absolutely inspired and gets it perfectly right. Or, in some cases, gets it so right that it's even better than the original. And that is the case in our lesson today. Most biblical scholars Uh, agree that the original Hebrew text does not say through the shadow of death. Um, In all likelihood, the original Hebrew meant something like a deep darkness. So the psalmist is saying that even though he walks through a dark valley, though he um, has feelings about that as we all do when we walk through the dark, he is not afraid. However, the editors of King James Version um, thought that these should be two words. So they translated it, shadow of death. Um, and perhaps in doing so, they understood what the author was saying even better than the original author. It is not the fact of death It is the knowledge that we will one day die that casts a shadow over our days. Father Leonard Dubai, a well-known Catholic priest, writes about this. He says, I don't fear death. I fear dying. I fear the kinds of dying I have seen people experience. Having seen others die, you see, he is haunted by this shadow of death. In particular, he is haunted by the loneliness he has seen people go through when they are dying. You know as well as I do that above a certain level of complexity all living creatures are mortal. From insects to elephants, we are born, we mature, we reproduce, and then we die. But human beings are unique in that we are the only creatures who know throughout our entire lives of what our ultimate end is going to be. And that can cast a shadow on even the sunniest of our days. I think maybe this is what God had in mind when God warned Adam and Eve in, Adam and Eve in the garden against eating the tree. Of knowledge. For on that day you eat of it, you will die, God says to them. Well, obviously they did not die that day, but part of the knowledge that they gained, the knowledge that would separate them from literally every other creature, was the knowledge of their own mortality. Now, little kids, of course, do not understand the permanence of death remember as a kid watching Saturday morning cartoons, Wile e. Coyote has an anvil fall on his head, a bomb blows up in his hands, and when the smoke clears, he just keeps on running. Kids see actors killed in a movie, and they appear that summer in the reruns. And so, um, understandably, they don't understand how a group will not be with them uh, to play with them forever. Adolescents feel like they can be extravagant with their time, comfortably wasting it, always looking forward to the next birthday, the next milestone, when I get to drive, when I am legal, because they actually believe there is an endless number of tomorrows. So you've probably heard it said, 18-year-olds, make the best soldiers and the worst drivers because they believe that they will live forever. And yet all of us, at one age or another, have incorporated the inevitability of death into our thinking. So, on this All Saints Sunday, what does it mean to live under the shadow? And are we Better off living under the shadow, living with this knowledge that it or we does not last forever? Or would it be better if death just came as a surprise? I remember sitting with this older gentleman at a, a wedding reception. I think he was actually the grandfather of one of the parents, and he had lived through World War I in a Lithuanian town that the Germans and the Russians fought over ferociously. And he said that every morning people would get up and ask each other who died in the bombing last night. The woman whose mother or whose sister died of breast cancer, the man who had his first heart attack at 45, knows what it is for the shadow of death to loom over even the brightest of days. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is there any sense in which we can say, not that death is good, but that the shadow of death, this knowledge that we are mortal, can be a good thing? Well, I mean, sometimes the anticipation of death um, can invest our days and our decisions with meaning, right? I mean, it seems to me a person can respond to the inevitability of death in one of several ways. I mean, he can choose the path of self-indulgence, eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow we die. Or he can choose the path of despair. What's the point of doing anything? Nothing lasts. Like the author of the book of Ecclesiastes begins his book, Vanity of Vanities. It is all futile. Or uh, Woody Allen, looking back on his childhood, um, learning that the sun is going to disappear and all life will end in six billion years, proclaims, what's the point of doing homework? Or, he can choose to say to himself, since my days are limited, let me make the most of them. Since every choice I make literally rules out alternatives, and since I know I will not live long enough to do everything, my choices actually say something about what I value most. Maybe that's what the psalmist in another chapter means when he says, teach us to number our days. That is, to make every day count. In Homer's The Odyssey, you remember that the gods are envious of Ulysses, a mortal, for this very reason. His choices matter more than theirs because he doesn't have endless time. So if Father Dubai's pastoral and, who knows, maybe personal experience taught him that one of the hardest parts of contemplating death is the loneliness, perhaps the antidote for that fear is the faith that we are never alone. And, of course, the psalmist addresses that, doesn't he? For thou art with me me. But before we get to that, just one more thing about the shadow of death, because it seems to me there are times when the shadow that death casts over our lives is actually not about the prospect of our own death, but rather the death of those close to us, those we love. They die, and as some of us know, it is as though the sunshine went out of our lives and all we can see is the darkness. Because to love someone is to make yourself vulnerable. It means taking off the armor that all of us habitually put on day in and day out to keep ourselves from being hurt by all the things that the world can do to us. And it means saying to that person, being close to you is so important to me that I will give you the power to hurt me. Trusting that you won't, though we all know that people do. Spouses, friends get angry at us. Parents abuse their children physically, verbally. Children find all kinds of ways to hurt their parents. And of course, everyone that you love will eventually hurt you or you will hurt them because they or you will die. And I have known people, and I suspect you have, um, who have been hurt earlier in their lives um, and who have responded by perpetually keeping that armor by never being brave enough To love again. And yet just think of all the joy. Think of how much you miss by adopting that way of approaching life. The shadow of death. What is a shadow? It is caused when something or someone blocks out the light. There cannot be shadows without the sun shining. And in a similar way, the pain that we feel at the loss of love is in its own way a tribute to just how precious that love was in our lives. For all those who hurt because of the loss of love, which in the end is every one of us. For all those who in their loss see God as the caster of shadows, the 23rd Psalm has a word. It is a word that you blow by when you are saying it too quickly. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow, not into, not around, though I walk through the valley. Now, I have known people, and again, you probably have too, who were so hurt by life at one point that they chose to remain in the shadow, in the valley. They do that for a number of reasons. Some felt that they deserved to have something bad happen to them that they had no right to be happy and to feel again the warmth and the sunlight. I have known others remain in the shadows because of what I would call a misplaced sense of loyalty. They're afraid that if they got over their loss of a partner or a child or even a parent, that somehow they would lose that one permanently. And so they say to themselves, how can I go out and enjoy myself when he or she is not around to share that with us? And on some occasions, I have had the chance, and if the time was right, I have asked a grieving spouse or a grieving parent, had you been the one to die first, what advice would you have given to your loved one? how would you have wanted him to spend the rest of his life? And the answer has almost always been, I would have wanted him to miss me, but I would have told him to live as fully as possible. And of course, the implied suggestion is, you should take some of your own advice. You know, in many animal fables from... Greek mythology all the way to Winnie the Pooh, the owl is a symbol of wisdom. However, that is not true in Jewish lore, where the owl is a non-kosher bird who you do not want in your own house. Why? Because the owl dwells in the darkness and shuns the light. And you and I have known people like that. That's why, incidentally, the Jewish calendar asks the faithful to pause five times during the year on every one of the major holidays and on the anniversary of the death to remember the one who was loved and lost. It is a way of giving permission to go on living without having the fear that you will forget. It is a brilliant idea. The author of the shepherd's psalm knows from personal experience what it is to feel the shadow of the valley. But he also knows the valley is a temporary lodging. It is not a permanent home. He has come to understand that God's role is not always to protect us from the pain and the loss, but rather to protect us from letting pain and loss define our lives. The psalmist turns to God and God works a miracle in his life. The miracle is not that his loved one comes back to life. The miracle is that he finds his way out of the valley. And that too is a miracle because the valley of the shadow of death can be a very seductive place. It is impossible to enjoy but it can be very hard to leave. So his advice to us, don't be afraid to give your heart away. Though that love inevitably brings pain. Trust God to enter into your pain and to move you forward one step at a time. There has never been a tunnel so long that it did not ultimately emerge into the daylight. There has never been a night so dark that it did not ultimately yield to the dawn. Though I walk through the valley, I fear no evil. And here we are at the very heart of this psalm. Everything up until now has led to these words. Everything that will come after will follow it. Up until now, how has the psalmist referred to God? He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. But now I fear no evil, for thou art with me. We have moved from the third to the second person. Martin Buber once tried to explain the difference between theology and religion. He said, theology is talking about God. Religion is experiencing God. The difference between the two, he said, is like the difference between reading the menu and eating dinner. The conventional assumption is that when bad things happen to us, they cause us to lose faith in God. How can there be a God when 11 people get murdered in a a synagogue? Or when people get shot at a Bible study? How can this happen to me? I don't deserve this. And I suspect many of us know people for whom a loss or a tragedy has caused them to close the door to God. But the truth is, just as often, and perhaps more often, it actually works the other way. People for whom the existence of God was just a remote abstract idea, who believed in God like they believe there is a place called Mongolia, suddenly find themselves in the valley of the shadow and what was just an abstract remote idea became pulsatingly real. And they find themselves saying, God, I never could have made it through this valley into the sunlight without your help, without the people you inspired to reach out to me. And that is what I want to leave you with this morning. In the wake of the Oklahoma bombings back in 1995, a scene that has been reenacted in our lives too many times since then, Rabbi Harold Kushner, who you know from his book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Harold was asked to come to Oklahoma to work with a group of clergy and social workers um, who were dealing with the, the victims' families. And after that, he met with many of those victims' families actually in the governor's mansion. And he asked every one of them, in the six weeks since the bombing, What one thing more than anything else helped you to find the strength to go on and to face each morning with that gaping hole in your world? And every single family member gave the same response. It was people. It was friends and neighbors and sometimes perfect strangers coming up and telling them how bad they felt for them. Here is the truth. Sometimes you will be the presence of God. You will be the Word made flesh. There is a beautiful passage that you are familiar with in the Old Testament that I want to leave you with today. You remember God appears to Moses at the burning bush and says that he wants him to go back to Pharaoh and free all those slaves. Let my people go. And you remember Moses' response. What is your name? At first, it seems like a kind of strange question. God, Moses, I want you to go and change the course of human history. Moses, excuse me, but what was your name again? (laughs) Until you remember that in biblical times, your name was more than the ID you produced in the bar or when the cop stops you along Catalpa. it defined who you were and what you stood for. Moses is saying to God, what kind of God are you? When I go to Pharaoh, who should I say sent me? And God answers with three Hebrew words that defy translation, Eye asher Eye. Usually translated, I am who I am. Sometimes it means What I am is more than you can comprehend. But I have always been drawn to the interpretation that connects God's answer to the AA just two verses earlier where God says to Moses, when you go to Pharaoh, I will be with you. For me, that is God's name and what God is really all about. He is with you even when it seems like the world has abandoned you, even when you walk through the valley of the shadow, when bad things happen, the challenge is not to explain them. It is not to justify them. It is rather to survive them and to go on living. And the key to surviving that dark valley is the realization, thou art with me. God is on our side. God is beside us. And when we choose to affirm life, we are on God's side. Amen.